0: But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face." that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. This is God's Word. Please be seated. At the beginning of the year, we began a series where annually we look at prayer. And we see prayer at two rivers Not as a noun, a subject simply to be studied and even praised as a worthy practice and spiritual discipline, but it's a verb. It's actually to be employed. Last week, we looked at forgiveness and the forgiving of debts as something that, if we do not forgive others, it serves as an obstacle to our communing with God in prayer. It's very difficult to pray and to freshly reckon our own account before God of our debt of sin if we've not released those and forgiven those who have sinned in ways against us. In other words... The forgiving of another sin has everything to do with prayer as it has everything to do in our ability to commune in intimacy with a forgiving God. This week, we're going to look at fasting. Because after the model of the Lord's Prayer that Jesus gave to his disciples, he not only said, if you want your prayers to be unimpeded, then forgive one another. That was an emphasis point. But this week we see he also had another topic that he connected with prayer and that was fasting. It's as if he's saying if your prayer life is impeded, if you feel like communion with God is blocked, fuzzy, look at how you forgive others. Maybe you're not freshly and deeply experiencing your own debt being wiped out. In other words, look at forgiveness as an obstacle. This week, he comes along and he says, fasting is like praying on steroids. In other words, if you want to accelerate your prayer, then look to the spiritual discipline of fasting. Douglas Kelly I like the way that he succinctly put it with a visual. He said, praying is like laying one hand and grasping God. Fasting is like laying both hands on God. It calls me with that visual to wonder, if I'm praying, what am I doing with that other hand that's not grasping God? It's grasping Yet, things in a material world. And it's grasping things that I look to for peace, security, significance, satisfaction. And fasting lets go of that thing that I have looked to for peace, satisfaction, strength, significance outside of God to hold on to God in total dependence for a season. Fasting, fasting will feed your hunger for God while at the same time starving your hunger for the world. Let me repeat that. Fasting will feed the hunger that you have for more of God while at the same time starving starving your hunger for the world to feed you. Jesus said when he was tempted, man does not live by bread alone. I want to do uh, two things this morning. First of all, I want to make a case as to why fast. And secondly, I want to be very, very practical in the time that remains to tell you how to fast. First of all, why fast? It's to curb our appetites from pleasure. It is to starve that hunger that we have that seeks to, fulfill it, to fill itself with the food of this world. That food could be physical food. It could be sex. It could be material possessions. It could be emotional food, a particular relationship or a vocational uh, uh, promotion, or getting that job, or graduating from that school, or completing that class, something that will make me feel significant, that I feed on that. How will that appetite be curbed with fasting? Let me give you a brief theology of food. We read in Genesis 3, uh, verse 6, that the woman in the Garden of Eden saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and she ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Food was present in the garden. But something changed at what we call the fall when the one thing that was forbidden was to take food from one tree, and when Eve took, ate, and then she fed her husband who was right beside her with it. Food changed for us. Let me give you a brief theology of food. Uh, number one, in God's original design, before Eve ate of the one food that was forbid, that was forbidden her, in God's original design, food our appetite and our need all matched. There were no bulimics in the garden. There were no anorexics in the garden. There were no addictions in the garden. We were perfectly content with the amount of food matching to our appetite, and we dwelt there in the garden with God. Because number two, animals only needed food, but man needed more than food. Animals only needed physical food in a physical, material world. But we have a soul that needed, spiritually, we needed not only physical food, but we needed spiritual food. And that began in the garden. Number three, after the fall, when Adam and Eve left the garden after the fall, food now became a struggle it becomes more scarce it becomes more difficult to grow part of the curse was is that food is not simply going to be there present before you but by the it's not easily grown anymore but by the sweat of your brow so there's a tension now food is not as easy to come by as it once was number 4 Despite the weeds, despite the thorns, despite the drought, despite the, um, the heat of the day, God still provides for His people. He provides through their efforts. He provides to feed the world. Number five, when people cannot feed themselves, either because of their poverty, their destitution, uh, their inability maybe even because of a false government, then we are to feed them. We're to feed our enemies. We're to feed the poor. People, friends, and family, and certainly Christians in the church are to look to those who have a legitimate need for food and we're to be the hands and feet of Christ and to feed them. Number six, the Bible recommends an attitude toward food. It doesn't just leave us to figure out how we're now to look at food since that balance has been disturbed after the fall. We are commended by the Apostle Paul to look at our food with contentment, to eat and to be satisfied. We're, not, we're discouraged from a huge ever- Whole empty hole in our stomach that wants and wants and wants and wants and can never be satisfied. We're also discouraged from condemning food. All foods and beverage are permissible, but moderation is always encouraged. Why? That we would not make food to be an idol. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians says, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be enslaved by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord is meant for the body. What he's saying here is that food, sex, material possessions, all of these things in a material world, We can make to be an idol. I like Tim Keller's definition of an idol. An idol is a good thing that we begin to make the ultimate thing. It's a good thing that begins to be something that we worship, and it does enslave us. Food is a good thing, but if it goes to addiction, it's become the master over me. I am no longer the master over my pleasure, but I am mastered by my pleasures. The Apostle Paul is picking up on a common saying. Food is meant for the stomach, the stomach for food. In other words, I'm hungry, let's eat. Doesn't matter what time of the day, I'm going to satisfy myself. That little growl is not simply my timer saying that I I must eat, but I want to eat. We satisfy every want. We don't know periods of want anymore, because we're able within our own reach and grasp to satisfy ourselves. Food has become an idol. We live in Charleston, in a foodie town. When people, when I talk to people about coming to visit Charleston, or when I talk to people of, uh, a, you know, and Charleston comes up. That's the number one thing they say. They don't say, oh, it's so historic. That's in the lineup. They don't say, wonderful beaches. That's in the lineup. But the number one thing they say, great food. Food is constantly put before us, but it's never put before us as something that we are to restrain ourselves from or deny ourselves of. Food would readily become our idol. What is? How would it look like an idol to you or to me? I got three illustrations or three ways. Number one, food brings me peace. I self medicate. It's there is nothing. By the way, um, I used to I used to love uh, ice cream uh, in the evenings. And man, I could polish off some ice cream before you know watching a movie or before I went to bed. But the older I got, all that sugar wakes me up about two or three o'clock in the morning, and uh, so I swore off that. But I can tell you, as one and you don't often hear about males uh, suffering with anorexia nervosa, body image issues, but in college, I had anorexia nervosa. I looked in the mirror and I did not see the cheekbones sticking out, sticking out or the hollow eyes. I didn't realize I had a problem until I passed out in formation parade one time, and they took me to the infirmary, and they said, wow, you've got you've to eat. What are you doing? I didn't realize I had a problem until the dentist said, what's going on with your teeth? What's going on? Do You have acid reflux? What's going on? And what was going on was is that I would binge eat. Why? For me, it brought me a sense of peace, not, because, not as a Christian, but because I was on the gymnastics team. I wanted, for my own self-esteem, I wanted the appearance of someone that could perform. And I wanted that body image that people would look to and approve. And I had made food an idol. To me, it was comfort food by denying and then binging. Food had become an idol for me. Secondly, food can become an idol when it's strength. We become self sufficient. In other words, food provides strength to me in that I am able to eat when I want to eat, I'm able to provide for myself, I can go in a grocery store. And I can deny myself nothing. I don't necessarily bargain shop or coupon clip anymore. Food, I want food. I want good food. I want abundance of food. I want to entertain others. Food becomes a real source of strength for me. I become self-sufficient. And if you doubt that, then we say, look at our closet. We cease to pray for food. Third joy and meaning. And this is Charleston. This is one of our idols. We just live to eat. We live to go to the new restaurants or we live to find those sweet spot restaurants that we can enjoy with our friends. And it is wonderful. As Christians at Two Rivers, I love feasting with you. I love being in your homes. I love going out to restaurants. I love food. But if that's where it becomes my source of joy and meaning, then food has become an idol. How are we going to not get caught up in these pleasures of life? In the Gospel of Luke, Jesus told a parable where he said that some of the seed, God's word, God's input, communion with God, is impeded because there are these weeds, these pleasures of life. You know, the the hummus and the cheese and the the charcuterie board, and all of these things, they begin to choke out what really satisfies me. And that is God. So he says, watch it. Watch those things. Jesus didn't have a problem. In Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, we read that Jesus was led into the wilderness, and after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Do you think? How many of you have ever heard a message on fasting? How many of you have ever fasted? I will be encouraged as your shepherd, as your pastor this morning, if you will at least meditate and consider adopting the practice of fasting in your life that you won't rule it out as something that they did long ago and far away, but that there's no room, there's no application of it today. Remember, fasting is like praying on steroids. Begin to consider following the Lord Jesus Christ who is our pattern in fasting. Now, I've never fasted 40 days and 40 nights you don't start out fasting 40 days and 40 nights. This shows that it was a very regular practice. What does it look like to fast? How how are we to fast? In Matthew 9, verses 14 through 15, Jesus is confronted by the disciples of John. Now, these were the good guys. These are the guys in the white hat. And they're saying, why do we... Who, follow, who believe in you as the Messiah. We follow John from the beginning. And now even the Pharisees, they fast often, regularly. But your disciples do not fast. And Jesus' answer shows him that Christians and disciples then and in the future are not dismissed from ever celebrating the, or practicing the spiritual discipline of fasting. Can the wedding guest mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away. Christ will be physically removed from our present. That is at the ascension. He's now physically present at the right hand of God. He is taken away from us for a season. And then they will fast. Here in Matthew Uh, 6, Jesus Christ says that your fasting is not to be seen by others, but by your Father who is secret. So once again, he's making the case that my disciples will fast. They will fast regularly, but they're going to do it differently. Look at Matthew 6, our text for this morning. When you fast, that's an assumption that you're going to fast and that you're going to do so on a systematic or regular basis. It's not a strange thing, but it's an ordinary part of a Christian's walk. Do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces. Every Monday and every Thursday was market day. And the Pharisees who regularly fasted would go into the marketplace and their hair would be unkempt. That's what it means when it says down in verse 7, when you fast, anoint your head. Put a little brill cream on your hair. You know? Do a comb over. And wash your face. The face of fasting should not look like one who is fasting. It shouldn't look all gloomy. Hey, man, what's going on? You've been sick? No, I'm fasting. They even would whiten their face. Supposedly with ash. They would take ashes and put a little dark, you know, rouge or mascara there around their eye sockets. Give you that hollowed out look. Maybe you look a little pale. Put, put that white cream or powder on them. Hair is all a kemp. It's obvious that this man is fasting. And he's been fasting. If he looks like that, he's been fasting for a long time. Whereas this guy, he's not as, quite as unkempt. He's not quite as pale. So he's not been fasting as long as this guy. So this guy is more spiritual because he fasts. And Jesus says, no way. That guy's an actor. He's a hypocrite. It's not real. Because fasting is not done to be known to others. Fasting is done for communion and intimacy with God. Fasting is done because that individual says, I want more of the Father. I want more of a relationship with Him. I want it more than food. I want it more than sex. I want it more than material possessions. I want it more than significance. I want it more than things I'm looking to for pleasure. I want it more than anything, and I'll give up those things in order to have communion with Him. So it's not important that others know that because if you're doing it to be seen, Jesus says, you're getting your reward there. You're getting that esteem from men. You're getting the reward in itself. Better to do it in secret, even as we pray in secret, because between you and God, God is his own reward. God accepts the lover who says, I want more of my first love, and I don't want the addiction to these other loves. And God will say, I will give you your reward, I'm going to give you more of me. Fasting is feeding ourselves upon the Father while at the same time starving ourselves of other lovers. And it's to be done in secret. Fast creatively. Isaiah 58, verses 6 through 7. Is not this the fast that I, the Lord, choose to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed, and I like this one, it's bruised. We know many a soul around us that is a bruised soil. They've been beat up by this world. To let the bruised go free. To break every yoke. Is it not to... And here is how Isaiah is saying to fast. It's very creative. Look at these things. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry? That's a fast. And bring the homeless poor into your house. That's fasting. When you see the naked, to cover him. To give them clothes. To buy them a wardrobe. And not to hide yourself from your own flesh. There was a practice during Isaiah's time that we know nothing about here where they would see the need and they would turn away from it and they would literally try to distance themselves. I'm not going to drive that way anymore because at the intersection, there are people that are asking, well, not anymore, but they're asking for money. I don't even want to see these poor people. I don't want to see the homeless. I don't want to see the hungry. I don't want to see that TV uh, commercial again about Compassion International. I don't want to see those things. And Isaiah is saying... Don't turn away from those things. But when you see them and you minister, that's like a fast for the Lord because you're feeding upon the Lord. And you're saying, this is what God does for me. I want to do this for God and like God's child that I am. But in order to feed the poor, take them into my home, clothe them, I'm going to have to deny myself. I... uh, I think about Johnny Cash. Uh, In my mind, and this is going to tell you how my music tastes run, humble as they are. Johnny Cash and Bob Dylan, and then all reggae music, you don't need anybody else. So um, Johnny Cash and Bob Dylan, uh, I've always found to be very poetic. But Johnny Cash, while he was alive, came to a point where he said, I am going to wear black. I am going to fast, as it were, from my wardrobe. And at that time, country musicians had and, and folk singers had a pretty flashy wardrobe. And he said, I'm going to wear black so that when you see me, you'll know that I always remember the poor. Now, I know that he did that as a very public thing and it's not in secret. But if you're diabetic, if you have a very high metabolism, if you have... Just your lifestyle just forbids you from practicing a 12-hour or a 24-hour or a three-day fast. You can still creatively fast. Give something up. We're going to have uh, encouragement. We're we're still working on what it's going to look like. It's going to be very humble. But Ash Wednesday is on February the 10th. It's coming up. That's the beginning of the 40 days of Lent. And on Ash Wednesday, you're, we're going to have the center open that if you would like to uh, have, uh, just make a commitment during the 40 days of Lent to give something up, to, to fast from something, then that's a way privately but also corporately as a body that we say during the Lenten period, which is the primary time that we focus on repentance, as well as prayer and fasting. You can give it up. But fasting is not simply starving ourselves from the world. It's not simply giving up an item. But it's also getting back to our real identity as sons and daughters of Christ. A creative fast... I remember reading in a discipleship journal one time about a track coach at a college, a female track coach. And everybody on campus always saw her jogging or running with her students. And during Lent, during that period of Lent, she fasted from running. And she was a tremendous runner. She wasn't giving up something like chocolate or 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 wine, or, or you know, ice cream uh, late at night. She wasn't giving up something like that. She gave up something that had come associated with her as her identity, the track coach. And she said, I'm going to put my identity down for those 40 days so that that identity and reputation is, is not master over me. A creative fast. And then... Lastly, we see that we're to fast corporately. Let me, let me just also, when do you fast? When do you fast? Uh, there, I, I had thought originally when I began to prepare this message that I would recite every passage of Scripture on fasting, assuming that there weren't that many. Well, there are over a hundred. There, there, there are so many. And fasting is used also for hunger, such that in some Bibles it says that when Jesus looked out on the crowd, he saw that they were fasting. And it wasn't that they were giving up something to commune with God. It was just that they were hungry and they didn't have any food. And they were dependent upon someone outside of them to feed them. They could not feed themselves. Jesus saw them fasting. But in the Bible, these are when you fast. When you're in mourning, personal repentance, national repentance, seeking a revelation, making an appeal, an act of self-discipline, nurture thanksgiving for gifts. In other words, I give up something for a period of time so that in that want, when I start it back up again, such as food, I can appreciate the taste of the bread, unlike when I never denied myself. I give something up, and then when I take it back up, I appreciate it so much more. Show dependence upon God, and I would say God alone, to satisfy. The, there is a day in Israel when all of Israel would fast. It was a national fast. And we read about it in Leviticus chapter 16, verse 30. For on this day shall atonement be made for you to cleanse you. You shall be clean before the Lord from all your sins. It is a Sabbath of solemn rest to you, and you shall afflict yourselves. And that's where that afflicting themselves, the fast came from. It's not necessarily giving up bread. It's not it, it may be giving up your time. It may be giving up your talents. It may be other things that are a sacrifice to you where you're starving yourself off from a dependence upon the world and what has grown to be an essential, a must-have for you. To focus on your hunger after God and to feed yourself with Him. What does it look like to afflict yourself in such a way to fill that need now, not with something else, but with God alone? The Apostle Paul saw this Day of Atonement and in Acts he once referred to it as the fast day. The day of fasting that they annually celebrated and it was always on the Day of Atonement. It was on the day that they celebrated the sacrifice for the removal of all of their sin. And that was a day when that sacrifice in their sight, even as it is on this table, when they saw the sacrifice and they recognized that the priest interceding and representing them would take the lamb and by the lamb's blood they would be forgiven and pardoned of all their sins for the course of the past year, then they would be moved that day solemnly and seriously to take count, to take a reckoning, and say, He does satisfy me. How have I been satisfying myself in lesser things? It was a daily fast. The fast would have gone from sunrise to sunset. On May the 4th, on May the 4th, Two Rivers is going to celebrate a similar fast. It's not coinciding with the Day of Atonement, but that is going to be our focus. And we're going to invite you to sign up, each of you, for an hour to pray. You can come to the center and pray. And we invite you from 8 a.m. on Friday, May the 4th, to 8 a.m. on Saturday to join us in fast. Now, for some of you, you're not going to be able to go without food for that 24-hour period. We understand that. But we really want to encourage you as a church to join us in this fast. For some of you, you will need to fast in a different manner. Maybe it means eating much, much, much less, very minimally. But we invite you to participate in that. And the goal is that we as a church, once again, would deny ourselves, would deny ourselves something and things and even physical food itself, knowing that the true source of our food is God himself. This morning, this amount of bread will not sustain you. This amount of wine or juice will not sustain you. But it points to Him who will sustain us, who will fill the want and the need and the hunger we have inside for God Himself. This touches that hunger. It feeds us. I pray that many of us will confess as we're in line and we queue up to come to this table that we have, we've been feeding more on the gifts of our Lord than the person of our Lord. We've been feeding, yes, on the fact and the doctrine that He forgives all my sins. But in feeding on that, we've not fed on the forgiver. Yes, we are forgiven of our sins but fill ourselves with the portrait, with the image, with the whole person, with the beauty of Jesus, our great forgiver. Did you know that Jesus is fasting right now? Jesus Christ, on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread, and after breaking it, he said, this represents my body which is broken in your place. Eat this in remembrance of me. And in the same manner after supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup represents the forgiveness of sins, the remission or the washing away of all sins. It's accomplished by his shed blood in our place. Drink this in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you celebrate my death on your behalf until I return. And then he made a comment. As they're eating, they're drinking the wine, they're celebrating the Passover Day of Atonement. He said, I'm not going to drink this cup again until I celebrate it with you in heaven. I'm going to give up wine. And for me, I'm going to tell you, that's, I'm like, Jesus, wow, that's a biggie. He, he says, I'm not going to let wine, which he loved, I'm not going to let wine cross my lips. I'm going to starve myself with wine. Well, what's going to sustain him? And I'm going to fill myself with the thought of you and our union at the wedding feast of the Lamb. I'm not going to drink of the cup again until we're together. And I believe that every time that he would think, man, I miss a good glass of wine, but I'm looking forward and filling himself and satiating himself with the thought of our eternal union with him at that wedding feast. Will you not consider giving up something secretly, regularly, habitually, join us corporately, as we fast. Let's pray.